Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Father, how we need your help, uh, Lord, how we need you. Lord, we're lost without you. Lord, we thank you for your word that is a light to our path, Lord, and a lamp to our feet. Lord, it shows us where we are. It shows us the way that we need to go. Lord, thank you that it's a rock beneath our feet, Lord, for us to stand on in difficult, turbulent times, as well as times that are blessed and times that are not so difficult. Lord, your word is there for us. Lord, I thank you that I'm going to say words today, um, which in and of my my own words, Lord, have no power, Lord, but we thank you that your word has the power to transform and change lives. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be like the Thessalonians, Lord, that we would treat this as your word and not as the words of men. And Lord, that we'd be changed by it, Lord, and pray that you'd encourage us today as we look to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And obviously the other surprise was I'm standing here having to do this kind of swivel. I would, I would love to sit down, and, but I'm gonna, maybe another time. I, I, won't do that. I won't do that today. Um, so I've got a confession to make, actually. Um, it's about... Me and my wife, who's not actually here at the moment, so I probably won't get into trouble. Um, for until recently, for some time, for many years, we never. Everybody's waiting with bated breath. Watch, <laughs> watch the news. We didn't buy newspapers. Uh, we made a kind of conscious choice. We, didn't, we came together and said it, but it just ended up happening that we wouldn't watch the news. We wouldn't buy. Uh, newspapers. If we did buy newspapers, we kind of would skim over stuff and just. Um, I'm definitely not um, endorsing that or saying that that's something that's wise and, and clever. It, it isn't. Um, but the reason, my, or definitely my, one of my main reasons was I just found myself becoming quite depressed as I, as I watched the news, as I listened to the news. It seemed to be day in, day out. There'd be the odd snippet of something positive and something good, but for the most part, it was negative. I mean, it was, it was depressing. It was. Pointing to particularly to death, um, people dying, people being murdered, uh, killings happening, um, and I found myself coming away feeling feel, fearful as I watched the news, and it, even feeling hopeless. Um, and I'm sure we kind of some of us have been in that situation. And the reality is, death has a way of doing that, doesn't it? It makes us can potentially make us feel like we have no hope. It can make us behave like we don't have a hope. You might have found yourself watching the news uh, recently about ISIS or Boko Haram. Um, after a long slump of not watching the news, I said, you know, <laughs> one of the things was it, was it became embarrassing because people would often say, oh, you know, did you hear about what happened in so-and-so? And it's like a major event, like 10,000 people have died or whatever, you know, or there's been an earthquake. And me and Tab were like, no. And, and, and people were just baffled. There's, maybe some of you here were confused as to why we didn't know the answer. And now, now, now you know why. So I'm not endorsing it. And, and to my shame, I realise it's actually because, because of a, a fear, um, a fear of, of, of death, really. You might have found yourself watching the news about Bos, um, Boko Haram. The truth is that death can cause us all to fear, can't it? The Bible has got a lot to say about death, um, as, well, as much as it has to say uh, about life. And we're going to look today what the Bible has to say, particularly about death for Christians. What happens when Christians die? Um, and we're going to, so we're going to be looking at First Thessalonians 4, but before you turn there, can you turn to Acts 17, where we're going to get a bit of a, um, 
context as to this church that Paul's writing to in the Thessalonians, how he came to be there. And hopefully it'll be a bit helpful as we, as we, as we read. It gives a bit of a context as to where Paul's coming from. So Paul the Apostle, Acts 17, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 10. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another, another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason as, and, and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So here's Paul coming to the Thessalonians. He comes to the synagogue. Three, we learn here that three consecutive Saturdays he spent sharing the gospel, teaching them about Christ, and really had a good response from many of them, apart from the Jews, obviously. Now, it's clear when you read Thessalonians that he was obviously in Thessalonica for a longer period than just the three weeks because of the depth at which these guys were at by way of their understanding. Uh, and the faith that they have, which is me- mentioned um, time and time again. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute. So, so he sends Timothy, who returns with mainly a good report. Now, so he's, 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 had to, he's had to head out quickly. He's literally been, been, been rushed out. He's had to, to leave, and so therefore not finished his time of teaching, teaching these guys, preparing these guys. They're a young church, a brand new believers. They don't know anything, but he's been invested in them, teaching them what the scriptures teach teaching them about the gospel, teaching them about Christ, and teaching them much about Christ's return. Um, I think throughout uh, First and Second Thessalonians, apart from one or two chapters, uh, the, the return of Christ is mentioned in, in, in every chapter. So Timothy comes back with a, a good report, and there's this one issue, though. Their, their, their concern is they're, they're, they're waiting for it, they're, they're trusting that Jesus is going to come back, he's going he's to return, but then what happens is some of them begin to die. And that's causing people to, to, obviously, to grieve and now to be concerned and to be fearful about this hope that they have. So can you see that on one hand they have God's word, it's what God's word says, and on the other hand now they have the circumstances, and the circumstances are causing them to be confused about or worried about that, that truth. So if we go, go now to First Thessalonians 4, <clears throat> verse 13, hopefully you're there. You're not there, okay. Some of you are there. Is Linda there? As long as Linda's there, that's all that matters. Okay. (laughs) Verse 13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Now, notice the obvious things here. He's clearly talking to 
believers. Can you see that? He's, he calls them, he addresses them as brothers. He's, he's talking to Christians, those who have faith. And we know they have faith. Uh, in, in chapter 1 of First Thessalonians, verse 3, Paul talks about, and he commends them for their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So they, they, they had a faith that was steadfast. They trusted in Jesus. And in, in 1, uh, 9 to 10, Paul says that they turn from idols. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you put in the place of God, isn't it? And back in, in biblical times, idols were very, very literal. They had little statues of different, you know, a, a multiplicity of different gods. And so these guys have actually turned from that. They've turned from the worship of idols to the living God. There's evidence of a real genuine faith here. And it says that they're waiting for his son from heaven. Once again, pointing to the fact that they, they, they were waiting uh, for Christ's return. They turned from idols to God. There'd been transformation. Many of us here today have had that experience, haven't we? I mean, may, may have not been little statues, but maybe we worship money or career or fame or ourselves or relationships. And we've turned from those things by God's grace and we've turned to God and we've, we've experienced transformation. Whereas once we were locked in and tied to these things, we now have turned to God by his grace. We've gone from hopelessness to hope as believers. And that's what happened for these guys here. In verse 13 of chapter 2, it said that they received the word as, as God's word, as I mentioned earlier. I wonder, do we receive God's word as his word? Do we read the Bible and we, and we say that this is actually God's word? It makes all the difference, doesn't it? Or when we, maybe when we hear somebody preaching, somebody um, sharing from God's word. Are we coming expecting to hear from God? makes all the difference, because if you come expecting to hear from me today, you'll go in one ear and out, out of the other. You're, gonna, you're gonna be making a lot of judgments about who does this guy think he is, what does he know? You know, you couldn't even get here on time this morning. <laughs> who, is, who is this guy that I should take note of him? But if, you, if you're able to pick through what I'm saying and, and listen to what, what God's word is saying, that's gonna affect how you respond, surely. So they received the word as God's word. They listened to Paul and these guys and said, this, we, we believe this is uh, God's word. This, <clears throat> sorry, Paul draws a stark contrast also, if you notice, between brothers and others. Can you see that? Yeah? Don't want you to be uninformed brothers in order that you would not grieve as others do. He's, he's, he's drawing a contrast and a distinction Ephesians 2.12 describes the state that every single one of us here were at one time in, some of us are still in, and some of us are no longer in. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Stark. There's, the contrast really is always stark. It's those who are in Christ with hope, those who are outside of Christ without hope. We can't be, as believers, arrogant ever about this. Because, as Paul was saying, we once were in that situation ourselves. It's only because of God's grace and us responding to his grace in revealing the truth to us that we've now gone from others brothers. We've gone from being outside of God's family to being inside of God's family. This fact should cause us to be motivated, shouldn't it, to tell others, as, as I think as, as we've been really encouraged to do uh, by Brother Daniel and uh, Pastor Rob and the crew, 
really encouraged. It was, a, it was a, such a blessing coming and seeing that, that room just full the other night of people who wanted to respond to actually that people are without hope, without God and without hope in the world. That's, is that just words to us? Or is it, is it a reality? Do we remember what it was like to be without God and without hope in the world? Do we care now that others are in that situation? So it calls us to, to be humble as we reach out to others, shouldn't it? We don't reach out arrogantly, as I said. But we reach out because actually we realise that was there but for the grace of God go I. That individual, whether they're, they're Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, whatever they are, they're without hope and without God in the world. So there were obviously un, um, gaps in their understanding. As I mentioned, one of uh, them was to do with what happens to believers when they die before Jesus comes back. So, can you see how Paul refers to those who have died? He says, those who are asleep, a common term in the New Testament. When speaking about believers who have died, speaking about the fact that they're asleep. And he uses this term three times in three verses. And you might remember Jesus also mentioned, used this term as well, didn't he? particularly when he talked about Lazarus and uh, Lazarus dying and that whole situation being, God setting that whole situation, setting it all up in order that people would see God raise him from, from the dead. And yet Jesus refers to him as being asleep, really painting the picture that actually the, so the, the, the body itself for a believer is asleep. Well, what happens to someone who's asleep? They wake up, don't they? Unless you're my son. He's not here. He does. No, he does wake up. But he, he takes quite a long time to wake up, but he does wake up. So Paul wants to paint this picture of someone who's going to wake up. Paul's not saying, because if we, if we go back, I don't need to grieve as those who have no... He's not saying we shouldn't grieve as believers. Is he? Obviously. He's not saying that we shouldn't feel sad, that we shouldn't be tearful, that we shouldn't mourn those who pass away, those who sleep, those who die. Because the reality is death is not natural, is it? Ten out of ten people die, but actually death is not natural. Death, is, as we know, is a consequence of sin and man's rebellion. And that's a, the consequence now is that there is death. So as we look around and we see pain and we see suffering, we see our bodies particularly if you're over 40, you're, you're, you're becoming more aware of this fact that, that we're, we're declining, we're dying. All around us, there's death. You know, you go out in the garden, you, you plant plants, and they last for a little while, and then they die, don't they? It's frustrating. And, you know, the grass looks really green for a minute, and then it dies. Death is all around us, and it's all, it's all really screaming to us, this is not right. It's, it's right for us to be upset, and even, I think, angry as we see death as we experience the loss of somebody. It's not, it's not a, a light thing. So, so what's happened here is not that we shouldn't grieve. I can remember when my... I think the first death that was close to me was my... was my granddad. And I think I was about... Was I 11, Mum? About 11 years old. And I, I can remember, literally picture the scene now, my Mum telling me and just... Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't understand what had happened, why it happened. And the thought that I would never see him again um, terrified me. I mean, and it was obviously a long, on, ongoing process. And as I grew, grew up to know and find out that, oh, he had a Bible. And, and, and as, as I got older, and actually, actually, three years before his death, he became a believer and that, so now when I look back, when I look, look back on, on my, my granddad's death, I look, I look at it with hope, don't I? 
He's, he's not, you know, I, don't, I haven't stayed in that place uh, of mourning as I was. But there are those who die outside of Christ and there's no, there's no hope for them. That's, it's difficult. We don't like to talk about it, but it's a reality, isn't it? I think we need, we need to talk about it. We need to, to, because hopefully that's going to drive us then to be more committed to, to, to sharing the truth with others. Death's not natural. So if you're uninformed, though, notice if you're uninformed or misinformed, what can happen to believers, about what can happen to believers when they die, then you're going to grieve like somebody who doesn't have hope. That was the issue here. They needed to be informed. In Genesis 37, uh, 34, you've got the picture of Joseph. Remember what happened to Joseph? His brothers you know, were jealous of him. Um, they took him, were going to kill him. Didn't, they, they, they decided not to kill him and then sold him into slavery, but then came back to their dad with uh, his jacket, his wonderful coat that, that you know, he used to, to brag about, dipped in, I think it was in goat's blood, and then basically said to his, lied to their dad and said, look, this is what your, dad, your, your son's been ravaged by a wild animal. And it said, with regards to Jacob's response, was then Jacob tore his garments, which, is a, which was a natural sign of, of, of mourning, and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol, which is hell, the place of, of death, to my son. So it's a place of death, sorry. I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him inconsolably. But Jacob didn't have all the information with regards to what happens to believers in death. And so therefore, because of that, because he wasn't informed, it caused him to mourn as, as somebody without hope. And also he wasn't informed about the fact that this wasn't true, he was, that Joseph was alive. So information is important. It's important that we are informed about the truth, isn't it? But I mean, how do you respond when another believer dies? When you hear of another believer dying, what goes through your mind? Who or what informs your understanding about death? You know, Buddhists believe in reincarnation until you reach something called nirvana, I think it is, which means kind of a liberation from um, all desire. So you continue to be reincarnated until you get to this state of nirvana. Judaism believe in an afterlife. I think they call it the world to come. Um, but they also believe in temporary, not eternal punishment after death. Islam believe in soul sleep um, until uh, Allah brings judgment. And so that's, that sleep, as I mentioned before, in that verse, it's a sleep of the body. It's not a, a, a sleeping of the soul. It's the sleeping of the body. Hinduism, belief in karma, what goes around comes around. I've seen how many times you said that. Oh, what goes around comes around. It's, kind of, it's interesting how this, these ideas get into our, our, our thinking, but they're actually they're off key. Atheism, we simply cease to exist. And therefore your life is, is meaningless, isn't it? It's pointless. Many different ideas out there, but we need to allow God's word to inform us, don't we, about death and uh, the death of believers. If you've got a pen, please use it now. I'm going to give you a few scriptures that you can go away and encourage yourself with, um, with regards to death. So if you just read 1 Corinthians 15, John 3.16, which most of you, if it's not all of you, know. John 5.25. John 11.25. Luke 23.43. Slow down, sorry. Luke 
Revelation 1.8. Revelation, that doesn't sound like bingo, isn't it? Revelation 21 to 15. I'm just going through every verse in the Bible, basically. Acts, Acts 24.15. But there's so many of them. That's, this, is what's, this is what's encouraging. There's so much in here about death and what happens to, to, to believers, what, what, what happens to those who die. Uh, Philippians 3.20 to 21. Did I say that one? And Romans 6.23, that's just a few of the... It's too, too far, sorry. Philippians 3.20-21 and Romans 6.23. So man flu kicking in now. Whew. So, so if we want to avoid being like people without hope, then we need to know what God has said, don't we? That's important that we actually... And we say this stuff all the time, isn't it? We need to read the Bible, we need to study... But do we actually go and do it in difficult times? Um, do we reach out for God's word and, or we're reminded of scripture that, okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is what the situation says. But actually, what does God's word say? It's going to help us, isn't it? Not to, not to behave and not to think like those who don't have a hope. So now, now in verse 14, Paul gives the very reason for the hope. He says, back in our text, 1 Thessalonians 14, 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul here, he lays out the foundation for the Thessalonians of their hope. What is that foundation? What's that fun? Oh, you got this hope. What's it, well, what's it founded on? Well, it's founded on the death and resurrection of Christ for the Thessalonians for, and for every single believer. The factual event of Christ's death and resurrection, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus actually died and that he actually rose again? Is there evidence that you believe it in your life? Would others be able to look on and say, I can see that that's somebody who, who believes in that because therefore they're living now in light of that truth. That's challenging for me. Are you living like someone without hope? 1 Corinthians 15, humongous text. And I'm going to read from 1, no, I'm going to read from, sorry, 12 to 26 with regards to this issue of Christ's death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 26. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, now, sorry, the situation here was that there were some believers who were saying, okay, yeah, well, we believe in the death and resurrection of Christ, but we don't believe that believers are going to be resurrected. Jesus died, resurrected, that's cool, but believers, no. It's not going to happen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith, believer, here today, is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. What? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
the world looks on and pities the church because they think that that's true. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man, Adam, came death, by a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Check it. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because that's the big enemy, isn't it, for all of us? Ten out of ten. This, if we can lay a hold of this, this is huge. This is, can you see the connection between Christ's death and re- resurrection and our death and resurrection? It's clearly saying that basically, if Jesus didn't die and resurrect, which we, if you know he did, then believers don't. If Jesus did die and resurrect, which we know is an absolute fact he did, therefore, it's a given that all believers will die and will rise again to new life. It's a given. I pray the Lord would help us to really... It's, it's so, so hard to explain it. To, to, you know when you're, you're, you're reading the Word and you get, you get kind of a, uh, a light bulb moment, but then you try and explain it to somebody. It's not, it's, it never kind of comes across as good as it is. So all I can do is encourage you, please read that and read it over and over again and allow the Lord to help you to see that because it's going to bring confidence in the fact that, well, how do I know that I'm going to be raised again? Well, because Jesus died and he rose again. Why did he die? And rise again. He died to pay the price for the penalty of sin. For all those who put their faith and trust in him. Well, why did he rise again? Because if he didn't rise again, we'd be worshipping a dead saviour. We'd be literally wasting our time. Every single believer across this land today who's meeting is wasting their time if Jesus didn't die and resurrect. So key is this to our faith. This is the bedrock of our faith. And if, we, if we'll allow it to, it can give us great encouragement. And the beautiful thing is, today, if you're not in Christ, this can be true for you. Today, the Lord says, come, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. He's not stopping you from coming. So the distinction is not that I believe is over here. Yeah, we're over here, we're cool, and you're you're over there. You have no hope. As long as you have breath, you have a chance to turn to Christ. And and you too can experience this. Comfort and confidence. Why? I'm going to die? Yeah, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Why? Because Jesus died and he rose again. The whole thing about first fruits as well, we know the harvesting term, isn't it? So the first fruit of the the crop is is a guaranteed indicator as for what the rest of the crop is going to be like. So we can behave like those with no hope when we fail to anchor our hope firmly in the death and resurrection of Christ. So Paul wants to encourage Thessalonian believers that all who have died in Christ will actually come back with Christ. When a, be- when a believer dies, immediately, immediately as a believer dies, if I was to drop down dead, and yeah, if I was to drop down dead, immediately I, I would be with Christ. Remember the thief on the cross? There, he's there, you know, spent his whole life doing whatever he's, you know, living for himself, sinning, not thinking about God, no concern about God, and there he is being punished for sins he committed, rightly being punished against the king of kings. 
who is sinless and perfect, and who's, who's now being punished for the sins of others, for sins that he didn't commit. And he says to him, Jesus, remember me when you get to your kingdom. He, he shows faith and realizes, realizes that, that this Christ is like no other. And remember what Jesus said to him, today, not next week or in a few years after you've been sleeping for a little while, today you will be with me in paradise. So encouraging. Also, Stephen in um, Acts 7, he says, uh, 7.59 says, when he's being stoned, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So his expectation was be that immediately as he died, he's going to be with, with the Lord. That's encouraging. I think we're, one of the things we're probably most concerned about often when I think about death is maybe like the way it's going to happen. I mean, I don't want it to be... For me, my worst kind of death is like um, being suffocated or, you know, and falling into a, a car being overturned and me, me being crushed or whatever. But the reality is the, the moment that I die, I'm going to be with him. The moment we die in Christ, we will be with Christ. And so the believer dies and his soul immediately goes to be with him. His soul, body goes to the ground. If your hope is not in Christ's death and resurrection, we're going to lack confidence about life after death, aren't we? And maybe that's one of the reasons why we don't like to talk about it. We shy away from talking about it because we lack confidence. Because we need to go back and be informed about what God's word says and then stand on the truth. Stand on it. Another consequence, you might live with like a YOLO attitude. Is my daughter here today? I'm not going to embarrass her, actually. Uh, you might live with this kind of YOLO attitude, which I, ha- I hate the whole, this whole idea of YOLO. Mia's kind of said to me, basically, it's not all, it's kind of how you interpret it. So it could be like a good thing, you know, that you're going to make the most of your life and whatever. But I think, I think the essence of it seems to be just go hard now, in it? Because really, there's no hope beyond this life. Just get all you can right now. Step on whoever. Well, basically, it's all about you, living, living for the now. Because there's no hope after if we don't understand about Christ's death and resurrection, this potentially could be, could be our attitude, couldn't it, even as believers? we kind of like really focused on what's going on in, in life now, living, living for the now. Also, you won't, you won't boldly tell others about the hope that's in the gospel. You're not going to because you're not really convinced of it yourself, maybe. And you might not be looking forward to Jesus', Jesus return. I've got to put my hand up and say, shamefully, there have been times where I've, I've reflected and I thought, Lord... I want you to come. I do want you to come. Just not now. You know what I mean? Just not now because I've got things to do. I want to see my children grow up. Um, you know, I'd like to, to make, have some kind of legacy or whatever it is. I do want you to come, but just kind of hold it off. That's, I, don't I clearly don't understand what is to come, do I? And that's, could be, I, struggle, I, I suppose we, we struggle to grasp that which we've never experienced before, don't we? We, don't know, we know it's going to be wonderful and more than we can even think or, or imagine. But to, to, to make that a reality it becomes difficult sometimes, and that's evidence in the fact that, boy, I kind of I like it here, Lord. I, I, I want to stick around for a bit longer. May the Lord help me. So verse 15, sorry. For this we declare to you by, to you by a word from the Lord. Forgive me. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul says to the Thessalonians that this truth comes from the highest authority. Be it at some point, in some way, Jesus communicated to Paul this truth. And that should encourage the Thessalonians. It should encourage us that, okay, this is not just the words of Paul, but actually this is what God has said. We who are alive, who are left until the coming 
of the Lord. Can you see Paul's attitude to... He's, he's included himself in the we. So as far as he was concerned and the Thessalonians were concerned, at any moment Jesus could come. That's how he was living. I mean, and we, what's the evidence of that? Well, we're looking at... You can see Paul is somebody who is not distracted by a pension or distracted by relationships or distracted by whatever it is, food, um, whatever it is that would, that would distract us. He was, he was about it. He was expecting Christ to come at any moment. And that's the attitude that we should have, isn't it? I'm 40 years old. I'm 43 years old. I'm trying to take time off my years off now. I'm, 40, I'm 43 years old, right? And no word of a lie, my, my life feels like it's, it's just gone in a moment. I can, just, I can vaguely remember thinking, ah, oh, when I'm 30, and that just seemed like, pfft. That will never happen. I'm like 15, 16. I'm never going to get to 30, so, but I can, so I can dream about it. I can talk about it because it's never really going to happen. And now I'm on the other side of it, and I can see the end. <laughs> I, mean, I can see the end, trust me. More closely. What, bruv? Be, be encouraged, isn't it? Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Bruv, this is what I'm, but this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. We struggle, don't we, to... But the truth is, it's a wonderful thing. And you know, the Bible talks about in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to be with him. How, long, how often have you been in a situation where you're longing for something, long to go away on holiday or this job or whatever, and before you know it, boom, you've got it, and you, it's gone. You're looking back on it, and you realise, wow, that's, I think that's what it's going to be like when we're with the Lord. Our life is going to seem like a vapour. That's what it is, isn't it? That's what the scripture says. So he reassures the Thessalonians that far from the dead in Christ being left behind they're actually going to be resurrected first. Can you see that? So that was their concern, wasn't it? That was their worry. That, boy, okay, Jesus, we know you're coming back, but my brother, my sister has died. What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them? Don't watch that, the Lord is saying. They're actually going to raise first. I'm going to raise them first. It's possible that the Thessalonians thought that the dead in Christ might miss out on salvation and that this would have made their mourning even worse, as you can imagine. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend, interesting language, you descend from, that's, that's upwards coming down and it seems like there's a lot of debate about it, but anyway, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, when Jesus comes, there's not going to be... How many, I mean, we've heard a few times, haven't we? Oh, you know, so-and-so, this guy saying, you know, in Mexico or whatever, calling himself Jesus, Jesus returned. No, brother, I'm not going to need you to... It's going to be, it's going to be very... I don't even need to investigate that and listen to what you're saying because it's going to be very clear when Jesus comes back. Nobody's going to be like, oh, I wonder, could it be, maybe? No, there's going to be no, no discussion about it. It's going to be very clear. Very, very clear. So what else? I've got another scripture here, right? Revelation 1 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced it. This goes beyond, I think, uh, you know, Facebook and internet and all that stuff, which, you know, we kind of, oh, because of internet, he's going to, well, no, it goes beyond that. This is going to be awesome. Every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. For some, it's going to be glorious and wonderful but for some it's going to be terrifying because that means there is now no longer the chance to repent, no longer the chance to turn. It 
It's going to be a spectacular event. So that, and the, notice that the, the language is, is one of a, a king, a conquering king coming, shouting, like, let's do this. And, the, and his, his, his angel is going to be obviously more powerful than that. And it's going to be more impressive than that, obviously. But it, it, this, this is, the, this is the, the picture. It's not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That was his first coming. This, this is the second coming now, where he's coming as a conquering king. The king, really, that the Jews wanted in the first place. And he's coming to deal up. Wonderful for those who are in Christ. Absolutely terrifying beyond belief for those who are not. Matthew 24, 26 to 27 says, So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out there. They say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines from the west, so also will be the coming of man. Everyone's going to know about it. It's not going to be some hidden thing. Matthew 24, 30 to 31 says, then, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, another reference to Jesus, the God-man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And this trumpet sounds similar to the trumpets back in Exodus 19, where God's presence descended on the... Um, on the Mount Sinai, and people were terrified. So even for us, it's going to be exciting, but it's also going to be an element of, boy, never seen nothing like this. Never seen nothing like this. Verse 17, then we who are alive, so some believers are going to have the, I don't know if it's a privilege or not, but it's going to be wonderful either way, isn't it? Some believers are going to be alive when Jesus comes. And interesting, again, he says, then we who are alive, he's, as I say, he's, that's, that's his thinking, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with who? Those who have died in Christ. So we're going to meet them again. If we've lost those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, I'm going to meet my granddad in the air. In verse 17, you see the word then. Referring to after the dead dead in Christ who have risen because of the Lord descending. Paul says, we who are alive. He clearly was expecting to see the return of Christ in his lifetime, as I mentioned already. Are you living like Jesus is coming back anytime soon? If you knew for definite that Jesus was coming back next Sunday, what would this next week be like for you? All right then, okay. Boy, somebody would be going straight home, burning some stuff, chucking stuff out. I said somebody, it could be, I'm not saying it's me, I'm, you know, all of us. But that's the truth, isn't it? Our week would be very different. Tab, tab, my wife had a dream uh, a couple of weeks back, and she said, oh, honey, I had a dream, and, and I knew for a fact that Jesus was coming back in two hours. And I just got gassed off, and I, got exci- I was actually excited for about an hour, just thinking about that reality, knowing that. And it just reminded me again, yeah, Lord, you're coming back. That's an exciting thing. But, but how should that now, how should I live now in light of the fact that you're coming back? Would there be more of an urgency about you? Would you be unashamed when sharing the gospel? Would you tell whoever would listen? Or would you be like, um, tomorrow? <laughs> or maybe not that person. Or maybe not that group of people. Would you read your Bible more? <laughs> For some of us, maybe would you read your Bible at all? 
Would you pray more? Would you treat every conversation like it could be your last? So we can too often behave like we don't hope beyond this life, can't we? We don't have hope beyond this life. And I, I think of myself, how this kind of plays out for me. I've seen it in conversations sometimes that I have with my brother-in-law. He's not a believer, a lovely guy. Love him to bits. Um, and he's very focused, very driven, you know, very business-minded. And often we've sat down at, at conversations where if you may be a, 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 an onlooker looking on and listening in, you think, oh, these two guys have got the same kind of hope. Uh, it's very much about kind of money and building a kingdom for themselves maybe or you know, having, having even good things like having, you know, having, having a, enough pension in order that you'll be able to support your, your kids or what have you. And it just reveals, I think, to me what sometimes can go on in my heart is that, that where is my hope? I mean, my hope is, is beyond this life, isn't it? Maybe you're not looking forward to being with Christ. <laughs> Have you caught yourself behaving like someone who has no hope beyond this life? Because you're happy with your life here, maybe. Maybe you live in constant fear of losing the people that you love. Notice Paul's confidence. Because then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. And also back in verse 16, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul's stressing that these are statements of fact and not opinion. He's encouraging them that Jesus is going to return for all of his people. Dead, alive, all who are in Christ are going to rise, they are going to be with him. He's coming back. Forget Arnie. Arnie's not coming back. Jesus is coming back. Some of you younger ones are wondering who that is. You'll watch the film. Paul goes on to say that all who are alive will be caught up. The term means to seize or to carry, carry off and speaks of uh, somebody being taken by force. But so imagine I was standing here, somebody come rush me and took me off by force. But not against my will. That's not the issue. But it's, it's a force outside of yourself. So you're not going to be like, they're like right, okay, everybody's, everybody's flying out. I need to just gather the strength to do it. No, the Holy Spirit is going to enable you to do that. You're going to be God, Superman. In the clouds. This is commonly known as the rapture. And notice that it happens together with all their loved ones and that, that have died in Christ. And this is going to happen in spectacular fashion in the clouds. I think the difficulty is for us in this age where we're so used to seeing films that... I mean, what more really is there, is there to see in a film that is extraordinary or wonderful, amazing, which is great when you're going to watch it. But then what it can do is it can, it can, you can then apply that kind of understanding, well, that's just a film, it's not really real to, to God's truth, but this is, this is God's word, this, this is what he, how he says it's going to happen and what's going to happen in the clouds. Just quick, let's quickly remind ourselves of what happened when Jesus left the disciples in the ascension. Turn to Acts 1, 9 to 11, please. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, that's Jesus, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, obviously, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's what Paul's alluding to here, isn't it, back in our, our text. So what's the purpose of this awesome event, this amazing event? Everything that the Thessalonians and that Paul was hoping for is is encapsulated, is pointing to, to this point, is that they would be with Christ. That they would be with those who have died in Christ and that they would be 
with Christ. And so also we will always be with the Lord. There's going to be no more separation, no more waiting to see him face to face. There can be no higher desire than that, can there, to know Christ and to, to, and to be with him. Isn't that our longing that we just want to be with him? Thankfully, he's with us by his spirit, but we want to, what's it going to, it's going to be like to see him with our eyes and to know that we're always, forever, going to be with him, forever going to be able to go and speak to him and say, Lord, rats, what was that all about? I mean, <laughs> spiders, what was that all about? Hopefully, we'll have more interesting conversations than, than that, but we've got eternity, innit? We've got eternity. So Paul's speaking as a pastor, and if you read Thessalonians, you, you, really, you really see that that Paul's heart towards them is one of a father. I mean, he loves them. He, he, wants to, he wants to encourage them. This is how we can overcome... Oh, sorry. What were the Thessalonians to do now that they had been encouraged by Paul to hope in Christ and his resurrection? Verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. They were to encourage each other. Us as believers, we need to encourage one another, don't we, with the truth. I had a, I think it was about a week ago, two weeks ago, I was just woke up in the middle of the night, gripped. When I tell you, I was gripped with fear. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where not just, I'm feeling a bit scared, but I was actually gripped like, a, like somebody was gripping me. I was terrified and, and, and my mind was racing. All I could see was this thing that I was afraid of in front of me, this thing that potentially could happen. Next morning now, I'm thinking about, even to the point of tears, I was like focused on this thing and then I got a text through from Sister Rishi, Alvin, Sister Alvin, um, who I know um, regularly is up early praying, and she said that you know, she, her and her, her husband Cain had been praying, sent me this text, and it was just literally was a word in season, exactly what I needed at that time, and literally God's word gave me strength, and it, it helped me to overcome this fear. I was encouraged, I mean, and hopefully many of us here have, have been encouraged by one another, and we need to continue to do that and do that all the more, particularly with this issue. So we need to be informed with what, what, what is the truth, and we need to stand on the truth that, of Christ's death and resurrection, and then we need to encourage one another. Not just hear it, but actually do it. Is that something that you regularly do, or are you somebody who kind of likes to complain or maybe discourage others? or you're so focused on what's going on for you, you're not really thinking about, what does this other person need? This is how we can overcome by behaving like people. Sorry, this is how we can overcome behaving like people who don't have hope after death, by encouraging each other with the truth about Christ's return and his resurrection. This really is the point of all that we've looked at with regards to comfort and and encouraging um, the dead are going to be resurrected and take part in the Lord's coming. That's encouraging. When Jesus comes, and who, who, all who are alive are going to be re- reunited with him and they're going to spend uh, eternity with him. So the reality is we're not to be paralyzed with fear, which is so often what can happen, isn't it? When we see or hear of other believers dying, or even when we maybe face death ourselves, we're to face death not with fear but with courage. And we can only do this if we're truly hoping in the one who faced death and defeated death for us and removed its sting, as the scripture tells us. Jesus promises to be with all who trust in him. He's alive. He's the rock that we stand on. He is alive and he is coming back. Let's pray that the Lord would help us to love one another in practical ways. 
getting into the scriptures, reminding ourselves of what the truth is, encouraging one another to stand on that truth, encouraging one another with uh, God's word, sending texts, encouraging one another as we, as we see one another, and also in- encouraging those who are unbelievers that this too could be your hope, that you could go from a place of hopelessness uh, to a place of hope. Just remember that our time here on earth is limited because of the fact that our bodies are going to die. In contrast with our time with Jesus, which is eternal, isn't it? We should live now with this hope that our Savior will come back for us. And whether we're alive when he comes or whether we die before his return, he will come for us and he will meet us in the air and we will be with him forever. Rejoin me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, would you help us to be rightly informed about death, Lord, to be rightly informed about resurrection, Lord, to be rightly informed about our future as believers. Help us to get into your word, Lord. Help us to love your word. Lord, we confess that often it's the last place that we go to when it should be the first. Lord, help us to stand on the truth that you died and you rose again. Therefore, we will die and we will rise again. And so what has death to hold over us. Sting has been removed. We thank you so much for that. Lord Jesus, we praise you. We praise you and we look forward to spending forever with you. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you, who don't know the love that you have for them, Lord, who don't know the hope that is in you. Lord, even that may be here today, Lord, would you draw them to yourself? Lord, would you open the eyes of their understanding? Lord, would you shower them with your love and your grace and help them to respond to the truth of the gospel? that they too could know hope, even beyond this life. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.